As Jeff said, we're studying the book of John, and I invite you to take a copy of God's Word and look with us to our passage found in the book of John, chapter 15, and we begin reading with verse 1. Look at John, chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. We're studying this incredible book, one of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Synoptic Gospels. This Gospel, uh, they're called the Synoptic Gospels because a lot of the information is the same, but John is different. John is telling stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John doesn't mention because there's so many things in the life of our Lord Jesus. One of the interesting things about the book of John is that one-third of the book, the last part of the book, is just a couple of days in the life of Jesus. And so we've been looking at that the last few weeks, how Jesus had the Passover, what we call the Lord's Supper. He told the disciples, one of you will betray me. And they didn't know who it was. They're looking at one another. Is it I? Is it I? Is I? Not one person said, well, I know who it is. It's got to be Judas. I never trusted him in the first place. No. They trusted Judas. They trusted everyone. They, they thought it was them. And here's Jesus saying, one of you are going to betray me. And as Jesus is talking, he's telling them about he's leaving them. They don't get it. Okay, please understand this. They're not getting it. He said, I'll go and prepare a place for you. Well, where are you going? We can go with you. No, you can't go with me. And Peter said, I'll go with you. Wherever you go, I'll be there. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand, guys. I'm going away. In a few hours, I'm going to die. They haven't figured it out yet. And so we're seeing this in these chapters as Jesus is giving them a lot of information, a lot of information of how to survive, how to live on after he's gone. And so he comforted them in chapter 14 and told them not, the heart is not to be troubled. He told them that when I go, I will send to you another comforter. I will send you the Holy Spirit who he's talking about. And now we pick up in chapter 15, Jesus is continuing to encourage them, and to show them how they are going to live without him. But again, they haven't figured it out yet that Jesus is going to die in a few hours. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is talking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be made full. Pray with me. Our Father... What we've just read 
is so powerful because it's the key to our Christian life. And I pray, Father, that we'll hear it. That, Father, we'll understand it. That, Father, we may abide in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Hampton Courts near London, there's a grapevine which is over 200 years old. It is the oldest, largest vine in the world. In fact, it's called the Great Vine. It is believed to have been planted by a man named Lancelot Brown in 1768. He was the gardener. He was the uh, surveyor to George III. And they believed he was the one who planted it. In 1768, he planted it, and today... It has one root at least two feet long. Some of the branches are 200 feet long. And despite its age, it still produces a lot of grapes. It produces several tons of grapes each year. Even though some of the smaller branches from that, about 200 feet from the main stem, they say that those grapes are still as sweet and delicious as the other grapes. Life flows through that vine, through the branches, to the grapes. That vine brings to them the nourishment and the strength to bear fruit. That is the image our Lord is giving to his disciples. He is trying to explain to them their relationship to him, how they are going to be connected to him. He is telling them, and he's going to tell them over and over, I, Jesus, am the true vine. I am the source of everything. I am the one that will bring you purpose. I am the one that will bring you life. I am the one that will bring you power. I am the true vine. Now, I hope you understand this tonight. This is crucial for us. If you're going to live the Christian life, this is crucial. Because here's what I know. If you try to live the Christian life on your own strength, you're going to fail. You can't do it. It is impossible. So many people, they, oh, I'll try to love people by my own strength. No, you're not. You can't do it. I'll fight temptation based on my own strength. No, you can't. You can't do it. I'll get my own strength. My my vitality will come from from me. No, it won't. Jesus said that he is the, the, the vine and everything flows through him. And so this passage tonight is going to give us valuable information. And I I really wish we could just take a lot of time looking at it word by word, not verse by verse. I wish we could take it by word by word. Because Jesus begins in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. Stop. What does he say, first two words? I am. He's been saying it throughout the book of John, I am. They knew what he meant when he said, I am. Earlier he said, before Abraham was, I am. They knew what Jesus was saying. When Moses saw the burning bush, he was talking to God, and he said, God, who do I say sent me? And God says, I am. I am. Yahweh, I'm God, I am. And throughout the book of John, we see seven times Jesus says, I am. And they knew what he meant because tw- two times they picked up stones to kill him because he was equating himself with God the Father. And Jesus loved that phrase, I am, to show his deity. And so he said, I am the bread, I am the light, I am the door, I am the shepherd. This time, I am the true vine. So let's look at this passage and notice the truths from it. 
The first truth is this. Jesus is the only source of life. Jesus is the only source of life. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus chose a metaphor that his disciples got immediately. This idea of vine and grapes is all the way back in the Old Testament. In fact, in the book of Isaiah chapter 5, God is talking to the people that they are getting their strength from him. Listen to what he says. Isaiah chapter 5. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it around, removed its stones, planted it with his choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it. Also, he hewed out the wine vats in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard than I've done to it? Why then I expected it to produce good grapes? Did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down the wall and will become trample ground. I will lay waste to it. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will charge the cloud to rain, no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. You hear what he's saying? He is saying, Israel, you are the vine. I have planted you on this planet. You are to show the world who I am, but you turn against me. You have sinned. You, Israel, you have forfeited God's blessing because of your lifestyle. You were going to be the vine. And so the vine became a symbol of Israel. And it appeared many places. For example, during the Maccabean times, on their coins, there was a symbol of vine, grapes. During the time of Christ, probably Jesus and the disciples are walking to the garden. And they probably are walking past the, the temple, Herod's temple. And on the door of the, the temple, there's a vine overlaid with gold. It's worth, they say, about $12 million today. The grapes of that image were 10 feet across Maybe, possibly, as they're walking by the temple, Jesus looked and saw the grapes and pointed to the, the grapes and then pointed to himself, I am the true vine. Do you see what he's saying to the disciples? They thought Israel was the vine. Israel was supposed to be the vine of God, but it was unproductive. So he, a new vine had to be established, and it was God. Jesus is the vine. So Jesus said, I am the true vine. Now, that, that word true means genuine. By the way, if you have something genuine, it means there's something false out there. Anytime you say there's, this is genuine, you're implying there's a counterfeit. There are counterfeits out there all the time claiming to be God. I, used to, I, used to, I don't know if the show is still on. I used to watch a show called Pawn Stars. I, I just love that show. That these people would bring these items to sale, an autograph or a painting, and, and then an expert would come in. Sometimes it was a fake. Sometimes it was a counterfeit. Why would you have a counterfeit of this stuff? Because it was valuable. And anytime you have something valuable, there's always going to be something fake. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. The Greek word for true not only means genuine, it also could mean divine, eternal. So Jesus is saying to the disciples, I am the true, the divine vine. I am the true, eternal, real 
divine vine. He's saying to the disciples, I am the source of life because I am the true vine. I am the true, genuine, authentic power source of life. There is no life apart from Jesus, either physical or spiritual. We have physical life tonight because Jesus gave it to us. And if you are a born-again believer, you have spiritual life because Jesus gave it to you. I am the true vine. The second truth is Jesus is the only source of fruit in our lives. He's the only source of fruit in our lives. Look what he says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says to the disciples, I am the true vine, you're the branches. And through me you will produce fruit. You're going to get it from me. It's not going to be on your own. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing. He is drawing a line in the sand. He is saying, I am your power source. I am your only power source. You can do nothing apart from me. Now, I take that literally. I don't think I can take a breath without Jesus. I don't think I can see without Jesus. I don't think I can hear without Jesus. I I think everything I have is from Jesus. You see, the question is, it's never, what can I do? That's the wrong question. The question is, what can God do through me? The question is never, what can I achieve? The question is, what can God achieve through me? It's never, what should I be working on? The question is, how can I allow God full reign in my life? Our power source is in the vine. That is where we get our strength. You know, there are a lot of people who claim to be Christian, but they claim other sources of power. There are no other sources of power. There are people who claim to be, to be believers. And what they do, they, they try to manipulate the system to get their way. They bully their way to get their way. They pretend they're something they're not. They do not rely on the power source of God. But Jesus said he is the only power source. So that means they're just pretending. You see, they think if they don't have those items, then they just make it up. But their vine is Jesus Christ, and he is the power source. And he says, from me, you'll bear much fruit. Now, what what does he mean, fruit? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't mean. He he doesn't mean success. Sometimes people think he's talking about success. I don't think that's fruit. We know many stories of missionaries who, who will toil for years on the mission field, not have one convert. I don't think they're a failure. I I think we have different definitions of success. I don't think a church, and we're a large church, but I don't think a church would be evaluated by the number of people attending. That's not success. Uh, There are human techniques to get a crowd. There are ways you can manipulate a crowd with with words or even with music. That's not success. Uh, Some people will like the thing of success materialistically. That's not what he's talking about. Neither is he talking about sensationalism. Some people think that's what he means. Fruit is sensationalism. It's something emotional. No, some, some emotional experience. That, well, that's not fruit. You can make that up. You can pretend. Some people believe it's simulation. They, they, they look at the external and they, they try to make something 
They, they look at uh, the, the true fruit of God and they say, well, I'll just make it up. And, and you, you've seen people like this. They, they talk different, you know, like because you're spiritual, you have a different voice. You know, it's usually lower. <laughs> God is with me, you know. You know, come on. You know, we use vocabulary because we don't use worldly words. No. I'm going to a fellowship. It's a party, okay? But we've got to be holy because we're trying to manufacture this. That's not fruit. It's not simulation. So what is it? Well, some say the fruit is being obedient. Being obedient. If you're obedient, you're bearing fruit for God. Some people believe it's, it's reproducing other believers, leading people to Christ. Because we talk about that. If you lead someone to Christ, you're bearing fruit. Fruit carries within it the seed, which has the ability to reproduce. Some people believe it's the fruit of the Spirit. What, what Paul talks about in the book of Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. So what does Jesus mean when he says the fruit? Well, he tells us back in Matthew. Matthew seven sixteen, he says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit here's what jesus says you'll know them by their fruit so fruit is something you can see so guess what can you see someone in obedience yes you can if you, can you see someone in obedience to god absolutely can you see someone leading someone to christ you see the result of them leading someone to christ absolutely can you see the fruit of the spirit in someone's life absolutely so when jesus is talking about bearing fruit he's talking about all these things if you will abide in me, this is what you will have. You will bear the fruit of the Spirit. You will bear the fruit of leading others to Christ. You will bear the fruit of, of, of obedience. That's what he's talking about. And so he gives this warning. He begins in verse 2, and then it also says in verse 6, he says, now some branches don't produce any fruit. Verse 2, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire. They are burned. Now, he's not talking about losing salvation. Here's what he's talking about. There's two, two theories. I'll give you the one. The main theory is in, in that culture, you know, grapes sometimes can appear to be connected to the vine, but they're not connected at all. Looking at them, they look connected. They look like they're part of the plan, but it's just really what happens. The outside skin that is connected with no in, internal connection, and that doesn't produce fruit. Kind of like Judas. We just went over Judas. Judas hung around Jesus, but he was never connected to Jesus. He looked like a branch, but he wasn't a branch. He bare no fruit. And so in verse 3, Jesus said, you are already clean. Talking about the same words at the Lord's Supper, but Judas is not with them. So he said, look, guys, you are clean, but the one that left, that's, that's the guy. He produced no fruit. What, and again, we see in, in verse 6, Jesus saying, if you do not abide in Jesus, in other words, you've never given your life to Jesus, you're not connected to him, you're not saved, and you're not going to bear fruit. He says also in verse 2 to 4, there are some branches that bears some fruit. Now, not all branches are as, fruit, as fruitful as others. I mean, some branches, they'll, they'll produce bushels of fruit. Well, some may just produce a single bushel. or Some may just, you know, maybe a peck. You see, a branch on the vine will grow rapidly. And if you're not careful, it grows so fast, it doesn't grow anymore. 
the good gardener will come and prune it away. Now, here's something about pruning. You don't prune, you prune sometimes the bad stuff, but a lot of times a good gardener will prune away the good stuff in order to get more fruit. Sometimes the gardener will cut away good branches to allow the other branches to produce more fruit. He's helping a branch produce more fruit. You know what that means? Pruning is painful, but pruning is always productive. If you are a believer, sometimes God is going to prune your life, and sometimes it's the good things so that you can do greater things for God. I have a friend. He was a pastor of a church years ago, and the church was growing. Everything was going good. And then one day God moved him to another church. The church was smaller. He had making less money. It was in an era he wasn't familiar with. He really couldn't understand it. But later he told me what he figured out. He said, where I was, I was just going through the motions. Where I was, I was just going through the motions, my prayer life, my devotional life, and I really wasn't producing. And so God took away, he pruned away the good things out of my life. He put me in that church, and all of a sudden, my quiet time increased. My devotional life increased. All of a sudden, I was praying like I should have been praying. I was no longer comfortable because God pruned me and all of a sudden God began to produce fruit in my life don't be surprised when sometimes God prunes the good things in order for us to produce more for him he says in verses 5 and 7 and 8 sometimes the branches produce an abundance of fruit he said sometimes you'll produce this abundance I will produce this fruit in your life so how Well, look what he says. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. Okay, he's going to use that word ten times in this chapter. Abide in me, and I in you. That's how you produce. Grapes on a vine are not on the vine thinking, I got to grow. Okay, I got to grow. I'll just... Think about growing. No, I'm going to really struggle. I'm going to grow. No. You know what grapes do? Absorb from the vine. They abide. Jesus said, when you abide in me, you'll produce more fruit. The word abide means to be placed, to hold on, to endure. Jesus says, You abide in me, you hold on to me, and I hold on to you, and you will produce. When you spend time with him, when you are listening to him, when you're learning from him, working for him, you are abiding in him. When you do that, Jesus gives you that strength and that power. Third truth, to produce fruit, we need to abide in Jesus. And he's already told us that we need to abide, but now he's going to give us some more lessons. And we're going to quickly look at this. I want you to notice what he says in, the, in this passage about abiding. He says in verse 7, look what he says in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus said, if you want to abide in me, you abide in me in prayer and my word. He said, that's the key. You learn my word and you pray to me. Now, earlier, Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He he doesn't say that here. He says, if you abide in me and you ask, 
I will do it. Why? Because if you are abiding in Jesus, you're close to Jesus, you're going to pray for what Jesus would pray. That's what he's saying. So Jesus said, when you abide in me in the word, when you abide in me in prayer life, you will have this spiritual strength and you will produce fruit. Verse 8, look what he says. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit so that you prove to be my disciples. Jesus said, to abide means to glorify the Father. When you glorify the Father, you are abiding in Jesus, and when you're abiding in Jesus, you'll produce more fruit. Whenever or whatever we do to abide in Jesus, to bring glory to the Father, that means we're abiding. Now, what does that mean? How do you know you're glorifying God? I heard this years ago from a preacher. He said, there are two things you need to check. Number one, you check your motives. First thing you do. Whatever you do, you check your motives. Am I doing this for the Father, or am I doing this for me? You see, we, we can fall in the trap, believers. We can fall in this trap that we are serving God so that people will think nice of us. We can serve God so that people will say good things about us. And then all of a sudden, we, we feel hurt if they don't say something. You know, we're serving God, but no one said thank you. We're serving God, but no one said good job. And all of a sudden, we went from glorifying God to glorifying ourselves. Now, the question is, we got to ask, are we trying to glorify God or are we trying to be impressive to others? Because if you're trying to be impressive to others, you'll never glorify God. So you check your motives. Second thing the pastor said, check your source of power. If you're serving God and you're glorifying God, the power source is Jesus, not you. It's not we're working harder. It's not we're working more intelligently. It's saying we are abiding in Jesus. We're staying close to Jesus. We're doing the work of Jesus. And through that, we're glorifying God. Now, that doesn't mean you don't work. Now, don't misunderstand me. I mean, listen, listen to what Paul writes in Colossians 1.29. For this person I labored. By the way, that word means agonizing. He, I am agonizing in my labor. For this purpose I labor striving according to his power that word striving means giving every ounce of energy you have striving according to his power which mightily works within me if you feel burnt out chances are you're serving god in your own power here's what paul is saying i am laboring i'm giving everything i have i'm straining with every fiber of my being in order for god's power to come through it's not about us it's about him if you want to Bear fruit for God, you got to glorify the Father. Look at verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. To abide in Christ is to abide in his love. Now, in two weeks, we're going to look at more of this as Jesus comes back to this point. But if you're going to bear much fruit, you've got to love as Christ loves. And the only way you can love the way Christ loves is to be connected to Christ. And then verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You want to abide in Christ? You need to obey his commandments. You see, it's easy to say we love God, but Jesus said if you love God, you'll be obedient. We demonstrate our love to God by being obedient to him. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you need to love God, and that's a warm, fuzzy feeling. No, he says, if you're going to love God, you obey him. You read his word, and what he says, you will do. And as you're doing it, you're showing your love. And by the way, it's easy to obey God when things are going good, but let life get tough. Let life be turned upside down. It gets difficult. 
The test of obedience, can you obey God in difficult trials? You may not even understand what's going on. It's just kind of like Abraham walking to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. He didn't understand anything, but he trusted and obeyed God. In verse 11, these things I have spoken to you so that your, my joy may be in you so that your joy may be full. If you want to abide in Christ, you need to focus on his joy. His joy. Something that's always sad to me when people hear about the Christian life and they think it's a lot of hard work and it's dull and it's drudgery. It's not. When you're connected to Christ, when you abide in Christ, it's joy. It's joy. And joy, joy means that no matter what happens on the outside, you have it on the inside. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to abide in me, you focus on Christ's joy. He calls it the fullness of joy. By the way, it's interesting, in, God, in John's gospel, the word joy has only been used once so far in the book. But then he's going to use it over and over in verse. In chapter 16, he's going to use it seven times. Jesus is about to go to the cross. The word joy hasn't been used. And now he's going to tell the disciples about joy and joy and joy. Because he is the true vine. The only one to give us life and power to live. Robert Morrison was a missionary went to China. The captain of the ship didn't like him. He didn't like Christians. He was skeptical of all Christian things. And As Morrison was leaving the ship, the captain said, well, I suppose you're thinking you're going to make an impression on China. And Morrison looked at him and said, oh, no, no, sir, I won't. But I believe God will. He was connected. He understood the partnership. David, fighting Goliath, with a slingshot. Why? Because he was in partnership with God. Elijah, telling the nation about the wrath of God, facing the, the prophets, and he didn't flinch. Why? He was in the partnership with God. Moses, leading millions of people out of Egypt, being their leader, guiding them, being their mentor. How could he do it? Because he was in partnership with God. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you're the branches. We're in partnership, and you can change the world for God's glory. Would you stand and bow your heads? The secret of the Christian life is not working harder. It's not even trying harder. It's just abiding in Christ. And maybe... You're here tonight or watching online, you've never made that first step to be connected to Christ in the first place. Will you make that decision tonight by saying, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins 2,000 years ago. He died, was buried, on the third day he arose. And I confess everything to him. I give him everything in my life. I come to him. If you're watching online and you'd like to give your life to Christ, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005 and a minister will give you a call. But if you're here tonight, you need to make this decision. Listen to what God is saying and follow through. Come to talk to me at the front or one of the ministers to give your life to Christ. Father, speak to us now and help us, Father, 
as every one of us abide in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.